Oh God, we turn our eyes upon You. You are the one who can see backwards. You can see forwards. We need You to walk beside us. One more time from that ancient prophet. Teach us. Equip us. Empower us. For this uncharted journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friend Pietro Kopitz, who is retired in Switzerland, sent me this prayer back in November. And I want to read it to you. Dear God, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, and I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, or selfish, and I'm really glad of that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to have to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. Thank you. Amen. Kind of like you and me. Seven days into this new year. So far, so good, God. But I have no idea what's coming ahead. What is coming ahead for this world, for you, for me? Daniel was struggling with that very same query. What is the answer? And in his struggle, a profound portrayal of life today emerges. So I want to go book, back to the book of Daniel. This is our holiday mini-series that comes to an end today. Don't miss the new series that begins next Sabbath, the last days, part one. That's next Sabbath. But today, our last time in the book of Daniel, open your Bible to Daniel, that ancient prophet. Our holiday mini-series has been entitled Christmas with Daniel, Christmas with Daniel. Those were those first two, but this one is New Year with Daniel. We had to change, modify that title, of course. Daniel 8, we began with three stunning titles that Daniel assigns to the God who has made flesh. Stunning title number one, Sar Sarim, Prince of Princes. Stunning title number two on Christmas Eve Sabbath, Mashiach, Messiah. Stunning title number three today, the Archangel. Let's put the title slide up. If you didn't get the first two portions of this little holiday mini-series, you can go to that website, www.pmchurch.tv. And all three will be there waiting for you. But Daniel 10, probably the most graphic depiction of spiritual warfare anywhere in Holy Scripture. Open your Bible to Daniel chapter 10. Let's go. If you didn't bring your Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. This is one narrative you want to, you want to track. So grab your pew Bible. It'll, it will be page 605 in your pew Bible. All right, the New King James Version. That's what I'm in. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus... King of Persia. That would be 536 B.C. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, Daniel is an old man now. He was a boy when the book began. Taken as a teenager. Snatched out of Jerusalem. Now he's an aged man. This is his last vision. He'll be dead after this vision. This is it. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. Daniel, God is my judge. That's what his name, his Hebrew name meant. Whose name was called Belteshazzar. Given a nickname, tied to Bel, the god of Babylon. Trying to induce those boys to switch religions. Didn't work with Daniel. The message, keep reading verse 1. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Actually, the New, the, the New International Version more 
properly renders the Hebrew there. And I need you to see this from the NIV. Those of you that have the NIV already see it. Put it on the screen for you. This vision, its message was true and it concerned a great war. A great war. In other words, Daniel's going to be shown right now while you and I are looking over his shoulder, a breathtaking, sweeping panorama of what we call the great controversy. This hand-to-hand combat between the forces of light and darkness, heaven and hell, Christ and Satan. A great war was shown to me. Living as we are at this moment in human history, it would do us well to make certain we understand what is the proscribed life of those living in the great war like you and I are. How shall we then live? Let's go. Verse 2. So, in those days, now Daniel's writing in the first person. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Twenty-one days. Three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Probably referring to the, to the Passover, Paschal Supper. I see Dr. Khan here, and he wrote the, 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 the wonderful book, Secrets of Daniel. And that book was very helpful for me as I studied this chapter. Probably for, for went, if I can use that. For went, celebrating the Passover. He is so embroiled in this heartache. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat, nor wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. By the way, that's what you do when you live in Baghdad today. It's hot and dry. And so they didn't take showers back then. They anointed themselves with these, these lubricating oils just to keep me from flaking away. So what Daniel is saying is I went without a shower for three weeks. No bath. I'm so caught up in my prayer focus. So I didn't anoint myself at all until three whole weeks are fulfilled. Something obviously has Daniel very distraught. Probably some headline that has made its way across the sands of the desert back to Babylon. Some bad news from hometown Jerusalem. The returnee exiles. Something's bad. And I am mourning and praying for what's happening back in my homeland that Daniel will never return to. But you notice what Daniel does? He, he runs headlong into a crisis. And Daniel has a default mode whenever he encounters crisis. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, it's over diet. And what does Daniel do? On his knees, starts praying. Daniel, chapter 2, the crisis is over dream. Daniel's on his knees praying. Daniel, chapter 6, the crisis is over a decree. Daniel's on his knees praying. Daniel, chapter 9, Christmas Eve, Sabbath, the crisis is over a decision. Daniel's on his knees praying. Daniel 10, difficulty, disaster. Daniel is on his knees praying. Daniel's, maybe, listen, if, if that's all we got from this, the life of this godly prophet, us third millennials, if all we took away from this little mini-series was his default response in the face of crisis, and that is he prayed, that would be sufficient. That would be one, in, one significant lesson to take into 2012. We ourselves who are on the eve of some sort of unarticulated, numinous crisis. I mean, I watch the talking heads. I listen to these wagging tongues. Everybody's talking about what nobody knows for sure. There is a level of uncertainty on this planet as never before. Because we're not sure what's the next shoe that drops. Nobody knows. 
The brightest minds on earth aren't sure. Reminds me of what was written a century ago in that little book called Education. Classic description. My sense is of our times right here. Put the words on the screen. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. You got that right. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They're watching the strain. This is just this week. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place. That the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. End quote. Nobody's sure what it is. And everybody running for office tries to just mask it over and say, It'll be all right. Just get me in that office and we'll be fine. Nobody's sure. Not a leader alive today. Were Daniel alive today, no doubt he would consider this crisis sufficient for his default response to all crises. If Daniel were alive today, he would surely be in earnest prayer. By the way, did you notice? What I, he, he not only prays, but he goes, through a, he goes into a modified fast. That's good news because sometimes we think fasting means total abstinence from something. It doesn't have to be total abstinence from anything. It's modified. I, I went without desserts. I went without the delicacies. I went without a bath. I went without watching television for a while. I went without whatever. A modified fast. He plunges into this time of intense intensification in his prayer life. I sensed a great war. And so I prayed. By the way, that quotation from education that we just were reading a moment ago, I stopped it too soon. There's another sentence that goes on. Look at this. Talking about living in a time of great strife, that would be you and me. Angels are now restraining the winds of strife that they may not blow until the world shall be warned of its coming doom. But a storm is gathering, ready to burst upon the earth. And when God shall bid His angels loose the winds, there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. The Bible... And the Bible only, remember this in the new year, the Bible and the Bible only gives a correct view of these things. Get to know the book. Get to read the book. The Bible and the Bible only here reveal the great final scenes in the history of our world. Events that are already casting their shadows before. The sound of their approach causing the earth to tremble. Men and women's hearts failing them for fear. End quote. Daniel senses an impending crisis, default response throughout his life. Pray. Pray. 21 days of nonstop intensity. Verse 4. Now. Here's where it all ends. Now. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. You're in Baghdad today, you'd see the Tigris, you'd see the Euphrates. Those are the two great... Rivers of Mesopotamia. Verse 5. While I was there, I lifted my eyes. This is, by the way, is the Sabbath. Exactly 21 days later, it falls on a Sabbath. I lifted my eyes and I looked and behold, a certain man. At least he looked like a man to me. A certain man clothed in linen. Pure white linen, by the way. Pure white. Clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. High premium gold, white, dressed like a high priest. His body, verse 6, was like beryl. His face, 
like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like a voice of a multitude. And I, verse 7, Daniel, I alone saw the vision. For the men who were all around me, they didn't see the vision, but a great terror fell on them so that they fled to hide themselves. It must have been audible. Or there is just this heavy sense of oppressive presence. And they know something's wrong and they flee. Oh, I saw it, Daniel said. Therefore, verse 8, I was left alone when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet, verse 9, I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, this being, I was in deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Wow! Daniel has just been granted one of those rare, rare moments in Holy Scripture. They're called theophanies. That's when Almighty God physically, personally appears before a human witness and you're allowed to witness the very physical presence of God. His, his buddy Ezekiel, who was also a young exile, wrote before Daniel, Ezekiel was granted a theophany. What's so amazing is that the two, the two descriptions are so similar. But let's not read Ezekiel. Centuries later, Daniel's inheritor... Elderly John on the Isle of Patmos is given another theophany. And I want you to read that. We'll just, you don't need to turn in your Bible. We'll put it on the screen. Notice the similarities between these, these theophanies. If we had read Ezekiel, we'd notice all three. Then John writes, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like. Everybody's saying like. I'm not quite sure. It looks like a man. This looks like the Son of Man. Ezekiel says, well, it had the appearance and like. A double caveat with Ezekiel. They're dealing with the divine. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to his feet. There's that white linen. And girded about the chest, there it is, with that golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes, there it is, similar. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice, the sound of many waters. Daniel said it sounded like a vast multitude. John says it sounded like just this roaring cataract. And when I saw him, John says, just like Daniel and just like Ezekiel, I fell at his feet as dead. But I love this. He laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, John. I am the first and I am the last. I was dead and behold, I live and I have the keys of the grave here in my hand. Who was dead and now lives it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Ezekiel, John, uh, Daniel, and then John are all granted a very similar depiction, a theophany of the glorified Christ. Pre-incarnate, post-incarnate, it doesn't matter. He looks the same. And I've got to tell you something. When I was doing the study this week, the thought occurred to me, you know what? He could show up a different form every time. He could just, you know, different hairstyle, different whatever, different clothes. But he always... I find a measure of, of security and assurance in that. Whenever he shows up, he's the same one. He looks the same. It's the glorified and risen, soon-coming Christ. Wow. So, all three go to their faces. All three as if they are dead. 
But it turns out it's the same Jesus. How does, how does that old line go from the book of Hebrews? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. He doesn't change. The Jesus you go to in prayer, He doesn't have another face on Him and another, another, another suit, another set of clothes like, I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking all this. He's always the same. I am the Lord and I change not. He's the same. You can count on Him. But now, here comes the dramatic revelation. All right, this is all precursor for what now Daniel is going to be shown. Verse 10. Suddenly, he's on the ground. His face is in the dirt. Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Hey, that happens to be one angel's favorite nickname for Daniel. Because this... The angel that shows up in Daniel chapter 9 identifies himself, I am Gabriel and I am from the presence of God. And he calls Daniel greatly beloved. The same angel shows up in chapter 10, only we don't need a name now because it's the same nickname. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you. Stand up. Stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And then he said to me, do not fear. That's got to be Gabriel. That's what he did to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. Over the hills of Bethlehem. That's what he did to Zachariah. Don't be afraid. Your wife's going to have baby John. That's what he did to the teenage virgin Mary. Don't be afraid. By the way, when the women show up at the tomb, don't be afraid. Same Gabriel. Don't be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day, now get this, folks, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, 21 days ago, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Now remember, for three long weeks now, Daniel has been fasting, modified fast, and praying with no apparent evidence that his prayers have even been heard, let alone answered. Good news for the likes of you and me. Don't you have those times when you go to your knees and you pray? I mean, this is, a, this is not just a little junior prayer petition. This is huge. And you take that prayer petition to God and you take it over and over again. But do you have those days like I do when it seems as if nothing's gotten through? Hey, yeah, anybody up there? Nobody's listening. 21 days. Daniel prays and prays and prays without an iota, without a shred of evidence that he's even been heard. He just keeps praying. It's awfully tempting to conclude. Yeah, wrong prayer. Don't you ever conclude that. It's not the wrong prayer. It's the wrong timing. That's all. Because when it comes to prayer... There is more than meets the eye. Oh, I can see everything, God. You're not doing a thing. What do you mean you can see everything? You can't see everything. When it comes to praying, there is more than meets the eye. Stuff is happening all around you and you can't see it. So pray. Don't you quit. Pray and pray and pray this new year. Pray. Some of you have been praying 50 years for the same prayer request. Keep praying. Keep praying. Some of you have been praying just one year. You feel, you feel old just with one year. Keep praying. Pray. Verse 12, then, he's, then Gabriel said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, we heard you. Instantly we heard you. 
from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But I need to tell you something, Daniel, and this is the only place in Scripture where we get so graphic a depiction as we're about to read. But, Daniel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. How long has Daniel been praying? How long has Daniel been praying? 21 days. Every day you've been praying, we've been under fire. We've been in conflict. We've been at war, Daniel. 21 days. While you've prayed, we have fought. Hey, have you heard of the uh, Straits of Hormuz? Huh? You'd have to have slept through this last week and not heard about the Straits of Hormuz, surely. You're following the news, aren't you? Let me put a map of the ancient Persian Empire on the uh, screen for a moment. There it is. You recognize the Middle East there. You see all that brown? That's the Persian Empire at the time of Daniel. All right? That's the Persian Empire. You see that white arrow? It's pointing at Babylon, the city that Daniel is praying in right now. So it's pointing at Babylon. That's Persia before the young Alexander the Great wipes it out and turns it into the column of Greece, the kingdom of Greece. So that's Persia. Now, from that arrow, go to the right and you'll see the, you see the Persian Gulf. Where the Persian Gulf squeezes into land, that's the Strait of Hormuz. Let me give you a close-up of the Strait of Hormuz. This is why it was in the news today. Take a look at that. The, at, at its narrowest place, it is 21 miles long. Now, what's the big deal about the Strait of Hormuz? 50% of the world's petroleum in super tankers passes right through that strait. Has to pass through that strait. And this last week, the modern kingdom of Persia, we know it as Iran today, the modern kingdom of Persia said, by the way, we're going to close the Strait of Hormuz and no oil's moving until we say so. But, of course, that would be national suicide for Iran because their economy depends on the oil getting out so that they can survive. So nobody was quite bent out of shape over it, but they were rattling their saber. We're going to shut the Strait of Hormuz What's the point of the illustration? Persia is in the news, just as it was when Gabriel came to Daniel. Oh, by the way, Daniel, you've been praying for 21 days, but let me tell you, far away from here, Persia, the dark prince of Persia, has resisted me. And for 21 days, I couldn't come. I could not come. But thank you for still praying. If you had quit, the war outcome would have been reversed. Take a look at this. Verse 13 again. But, Gabriel speaking to Daniel. But, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. 21 days. And behold, now here we go. Here comes stunning title number three. But, behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia for 21 days. I, Gabriel, had been fending off that dark prince. Finally, I wasn't getting anywhere. Finally, Michael shows up. And now I'm here. Michael shows up. Who is this Michael? Let's put his, let's put his Hebrew name on the screen here. Mikael. Mikael. El is God. Mika. Who is like? And scholars aren't sure. Is that a question? Who is like God? 
Or is it a grand statement? Who is like God? We don't know. But either way, it works. This being, Mikael, is an unusual creature. An unusual, an unusual being in Holy Scripture. Commentators, and Jacques Decon helped me on this one, commentators agree that the Hebrew here should actually read not one of the chief princes, but the, he's the, numero uno, chief prince. Chief prince. He's the number one. Who is this Michael? By the way, if he's the chief prince, then that means the title Sar Sarim, Prince of Princes, belongs to him. And we already found out who that is. So who is this Michael anyway? Hmm? Jude 9 declares Michael is the archangel. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says that when Christ returns, the voice of the archangel will raise the dead. And John 5, 28, Jesus himself declares, it will be my voice that raises the dead. So if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Leading Philip Melanchthon, the brilliant mind behind Martin Luther and the Reformation, leading Philip Melanchthon to conclude, Michael is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. He only appears in apocalyptic books. Watch this. Daniel, Jude, and Revelation. And he only shows up when a great conflict is taking place. And guess what? Every time he shows up, he wins. Every time. So if Michael ever shows up on your side, you just got placed on the winning side. Praise God. Michael, the divine being, by the way, who just moments ago, in all of his fiery glory, stood before Daniel. That's Michael. He takes the battle name, who is like God, when he goes to war. And he always wins. Wow. Verse 13 again. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief, the chief, Prince, prince of princes. Michael came to help me, for I had been left alone with the kings of Persia. Verse 14, and now, Daniel, I have come to make you understand that what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. In this stunning portrayal that Gabriel has just granted Daniel. Listen to this, folks. You've got to get this. Two critical factors are identified by Gabriel for anybody caught in the midst of the Great War. Two critical factors. Put them on the screen for you. No study guide today. Factor number one. Every inch of the human race is contested. Every inch. Every person of the human race is contested. In this great war, there is no collateral damage that is expendable. Every man, every woman, every teenager, every child, every baby is contested. Everybody is challenged. It's the loyalty and allegiance of the human race that the two forces, light and darkness, heaven and hell, Christ and Satan, it is the allegiance of every human being that the battle rages until that decision is secure. Every person of the human race is contested. And number two, every prayer of the human heart is critical. Lock that in your heart. Every prayer matters. While you were praying, Daniel, we were fighting. 
Because the very object of your prayers is being challenged by the dark prince of Persia, the fallen Lucifer, we were fighting. As you kept praying, we kept moving, advancing, advancing. If you had stopped, Daniel, if you had stopped, we would have pulled back. We needed the prayer of one man to release us for this assault. You prayed. We fought. Michael came. You say, ah, oh, Dwight, you're over-dramatizing it. Please, come on, get off of that. Oh, am I? Am I? I'm indebted to a Kiwi, a New Zealander, who drew my attention to this line in the ancient book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote the book, John Dawson, wrote the book, Taking Our Cities for God. I want you to see this line. There's no over-dramatization going on here. Watch this. Ezekiel, uh, Ecclesiastes, rather, chapter 9, verse 14, tells a little story here. There was a little city with a few men and women in it. And a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. You got the picture. Enemy king, surrounded, besieged that tiny little burg. Now there was found in that city a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. You don't need to remember that same poor man. All you need to know is it takes just one. One prayer, one man, one woman on behalf of an entire campus, on behalf of an entire city, on behalf of an entire nation. Give me Persia. One man praying. Daniel, you prayed. We fought. Michael showed up. I'm free. We won that skirmish. We were victorious in that battle. Wow. A century ago, listen to this, put the words on the screen for you. A century ago, this ringing assurance, we cannot save ourselves from the dark prince of Persia's power. We cannot save ourselves from the tempter's power. He's conquered humanity. And when we try to stand in our own strength, we shall become a prey to his devices. But, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Last line, Satan trembles and flees before the weakest soul who finds refuge in that mighty name. The weakest of the weak. One man praying, one teenager praying, one young adult on her knees, begging God. The weakest of the weak. And in the power of that name, Satan flees. And that's what happened. doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow, but it means 21 days, 42 days. It doesn't matter. Your prayer is essential for eventual victory. You can't stop praying. You cannot stop praying. Look, if every person of the human race is contested, put that on the screen for you again, and every prayer of the human race is critical, then why should we not band together in this time of impending crisis and pray together? You surely know one person by one soul by name who's in the crosshairs of this great war. You must know somebody who needs your intercession for whom you must pray. You surely know somebody. Could be a spouse. Could be a roommate. Could be a neighbor. Could be a colleague on the job. Could be anybody. But you must know somebody 
for whom your prayer is critical. I had the privilege this last Sabbath of preaching to 7,500 Seventh-day Adventist young teenagers and young adults at GYC in Houston, Texas. Unforgettable experience. The theme for that conference, fill me our earnest plea, pleading for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you something. Praying in the morning, praying in the afternoon, praying in the evening, praying at night. Because surely it has occurred to all of us that somewhere, someone, sometime is finally going to get it that prayer is heaven's strategic arsenal in this great war. I'm going to leave that screen up for a moment. I need that to be impressed upon the DNA of your spirituality. Prayer is heaven's strategic arsenal in this great war we are all in. You have to pray. You will not survive this war. And nor will those you love survive. Unless you pray. Prayer is heaven's strategic arsenal in this great war. Daniel, for 21 days while you were praying, we are pressing, pressing, pressing. And finally it got so critical that Michael himself showed up. And when Michael shows up, he always wins. He always wins. So pray until Michael shows up for your prayer need. Pray until Michael shows up for your prayer need. 21 days? I don't know. Oh, come on, Jesus. Why did you, why did you have to wait, wait 21 days? Couldn't you do this a little faster? Like, a, do you understand we're on a timeline down here? I don't know why he does it. I don't know why sometimes I pray three days and nothing happens. I pray three weeks and nothing happens. I pray three years and nothing happens. I pray 30 years and nothing happens. I don't know why. Except that Michael is very sensitive to the most priceless legacy of his kingdom. And it's called free choice. And if he shows up and throws his divine weight around and crushes the fragile blossom of free choice, his kingdom is doomed. He lives by free choice. Love, come on, love in order to be loved must not only grant you the right to say yes, it must also grant you the right to say no. Cyrus the king, back and forth, back and forth. Three days, not enough time. Ten days, not enough time. Twenty days, not enough time. Daniel, don't quit praying. Twenty-one days, Cyrus finally locks in to what God had raised him to do. Michael shows up. When Cyrus yields his mind. Some of you have been praying for a long time for one human being. Some of you are parents. And you have agonized before God for your children till you have no tears left to cry. I need you to know that the story of Daniel is a clear call to you to not stop praying. Keep praying. There's more to prayer than meets the eye. Something's happening out there. And your prayers are providing access that would otherwise be denied. Pray on. 21 days, Daniel, you prayed. 21 days we fought. Michael just came. And I'm here for you. Wow. What's that? Prayer. Put it on the screen again, please. Prayer is heaven's strategic arsenal in this great war. Which is why I want to invite you. I want to invite you to House of Prayer this new year.
I want to invite you to come and pray. Hey, solitary prayer makes a difference. But collective prayer amplifies the difference. How's the prayer? Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, right here. This new year, would you mind coming and joining us? John Pokinghorn, the great uh, Anglican, English physicist, minister, and author. I had him standing right here. Some of you remember the interview a few years ago. He was standing right here, and I asked Dr. Polkinghorne, who's a fervent Christian. I asked him, I said, Dr. Polkinghorne, how does this prayer thing work? I mean, you know, more people pray, is that better? And he, he thought for a moment, he said, I think it, I think, he's a physicist, I think it's, I think it's something like a laser. That when you take the strands, separate strands of light, and you bind them together, the binding together increases the penetration of that beam. The power is exponentially increased by the binding together. Yeah, sure. We can have praying all over this community. A little prayer over here. A little prayer in that dormitory room. A little prayer in that house in the community. A little prayer in that trailer. Prayers going up. But it's the binding together that magnifies the difference and unleashes the power. I don't know why the book of Acts was written the way it was, but it's when they came together and prayed, as we noted a moment ago, that stuff happened. It's the binding together. So this Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock, right here, 45 minutes. That's as long as it's going to be. Praise and prayer. We'll have a little 10-minute teaching on prayer from the Gospel of Matthew. But that's it. 45 minutes, you're gone. But I want to invite you to come, please. House of Prayer, this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here. Because remember, there's more to praying than meets the eye. You know what? I'd love to see the sanctuary filled. And guess what? It would be filled if we really believed there was a crisis. It would be filled if we really believed prayer works. You're by some warm fireplace Wednesday night. Would you push away from that fireplace? Come and join us. We need the bands wrapped and woven together. It's only in the collectiveness that those prayers are magnified. And Michael releases his strategic plan. I'd love to have you. I humbly invite you. I earnestly invite you. Come. Wednesday night. 7 o'clock. Right here. Napoleon Bonaparte. Diminutive in stature, but ambitions as big as the world. That French commander was standing one day with his lieutenants. Standing in front of a map of the world. The short commander walked to the east of the map. Stopped in front of a landmass, took his riding whip, poked it at that landmass, and then announced to his commanders, There lies 
a sleeping giant. Let her sleep. For when she wakes, she will shake the world. You know, with my crazy imagination, it isn't very hard for me to imagine on the cusp of this new year. The dark prince of Persia gathering with his lieutenants in front of a map of the world. He strides over to that map, a place marked church, and he, he takes his long finger and he sticks it into the church. And he turns to the others and he says, there lies a sleeping giant. Let her sleep. For when she wakes, she will shake the world. Surely, it occurs to us that prayer is heaven's strategic arsenal in this great war. And it must be time to pray. Don't you think? Yeah. So I'm going to invite you to turn to somebody right now. Go to your knees. Stay in the pew seated if you wish. Here's what we're praying for. Call on Michael. Call on Michael to step into the great war right here. Call on Michael to step into the great war right here and manifest Himself in this place. Two or three of you, let's go. Let's pray. I'll come down and pray with you. When you're through, just quietly, just quietly remain. Pray with you guys.
probably in all of our hymnody, this peace remains the most profound call to arms in a time of great war. Martin Luther composed it based on Psalm 46. It's become the battle hymn of the Reformation. A reformation that must last to the end of time. And so I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Hymn 506. Oh my. Those first two stanzas call us. And then Jesus steps forward. And then we are called again in that last stanza to commit our all to this great war. Sing your heart out. The organ is going to open up every pipe it has. As we sing, a mighty fortress is our God.
because His kingdom is forever, now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.